You're listening to Badass Lady Folk, a podcast about socially engaged women and NB femmes kicking buns big and small. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. That intro music came from the song Talking Hands by Toxic Moxie. As previously mentioned, this is a reboot of my Radio Free Brooklyn show, The Badass Lady Folk of Brooklyn. Now, Quail Bell Press and Productions is producing this podcast for and about incredible women and non-binary femmes from around the world, not just Brooklyn. This episode, my guest is Melina B, TikTok star and activist. Welcome, Melina. Hello, thanks for having me. Of course. So Melina is a wonderful, interesting, fascinating person. In this episode, I want to focus on TikTok stardom historic preservation, architecture, just the different work that she does on these fantastically researched videos. And I also wanna make time for her fundraiser, which is very important for all of us, for all of society, and especially my feminist listeners, which I hope is all of you. I hope if you are a listener, you are a feminist. I hope if you're a human, you are a feminist. Okay, so Melina, tell us about your TikTok, what it is, how you got started, all of that good stuff. Wow, well, it's wild. Um, well, I first got on TikTok in 2020, like most millennials, and was just watching goofy videos. And then sometime in tw early 2021, like February, I got a video on my For You page, which is, um, for those not familiar with this app, um, you have a sort of feed or stream of content from people you don't necessarily follow. So you're being exposed to new things all the time. One of the great features of TikTok. Um, and I saw a video by a woman clearly who works in historic preservation or some kind of architect about the history of the front porch. And it went, it was viral and it had like over a hundred thousand views or something like that. And I thought, huh, well, I know about architecture and um, could probably make a video like that. So I went at it and I've been posting like maybe daily or at least a few times a week for a month or so and not really getting tons of views or tons of followers. Um, I think the most views I had were on a video about, um, a Chinese apothecary in Oregon called Kamwa Chung. Um, and that video had about 5,000 views, which I was, you know, really happy with. Um, but then I sort of on a whim with a lot less research than I put into most of my videos, funnily enough, made a video about an object called the Camden bench. And it is an actual cement bench in Camden, London. And, um, has been described as the perfect anti-object um and um i forget what i forget what else it's been called but um like the most inconvenient object ever invented and it's designed to like you know um deter skating pda um you know loitering too long it's extremely anti-houseless people because um it's to be hostile. It's the most one of the most hostile um, 
pieces of architect, public architecture. And that video, um, I posted it. And then within a few hours, I noticed it was getting a lot of traction. Um, and it had already hit over 5,000 views. And um, I also noticed many of the commenters were skaters because uh, one of the things I discussed in the video is that it's designed to not be skatable. And apparently the skateboarding community is very vocal is something I've learned through this experience. Um, and by the time I woke up, it had, I think, close to 100,000 views. And I was totally floored. And then I ended up making a second video about a totally polar opposite bench in Vancouver, Canada, um, that's actually designed to um, open up and like provide shelters to someone and then direct them to a homeless shelter. Um, so that video also ended up getting, you know, several, like a couple dozen thousand views. And I ended up picking up like several thousand followers that week. It's so far been, since, especially since then, a really enriching experience. Right now I have, I'm just shy of 25K followers and my goal, it, I didn't ever expect to even, I was floored when I even hit 10K followers. Um, and I would have been amazed to even have 5K followers. Um, but now I would really love, just because I love even numbers, I would love to hit 25K. Um, growth has kind of, I'm still like getting new followers, but it's not these big jumps in um, like growth. So yeah, it's been great. Yeah, what a journey. Could you talk about exactly what the reaction from the skating community has been, why you think there was that reaction, and just stepping back how you perceive all of that? Mm. Yeah, and it's, like I said, I really didn't expect it. I myself have never skated. Um, and also since then, I've produced two skate-specific skate videos. One of people actually attempting to skate the Camden bench um, and another about um, design features used by land, people uh, designing public spaces to deter skateboarding. Um, I think because skateboarders are really passionate about what they do and also are kind of put on the defensive and especially with an object like the Camden bench or with a video like five, you know, five ways um, designers deter skateboarding, which also, you know, has something like almost 40K views now. Um, it, when you put people on the defensive, it tends to make them really vocal is something I think social media has taught us. Um, yeah, that's so. a great point. Well, and to that point, you have also made videos about brutalism. And that is another topic that's extremely controversial in different design fields. Like everyone has an opinion about it, it seems. Can you talk about why you chose brutalism, how you broke down different aspects for your videos, and just what you think of it? Um, yeah, so brutalism ended up being my next viral video, which was four reasons why I think people hate brutalism. 
because people were commenting on the Camden bench and saying, this looks a lot like brutalist architecture. Can you talk about brutalist architecture? Because I'd already done a couple videos um, about buildings. So, um, but I don't think, and I think architectural styles as well. So um, yeah, so that's what led me to do the brutalism video. And since then I've done a few, like the world's first brutalist building and uh, reasons to like brutalism, why brutalism is used for public buildings. Um, and um, yeah, I think again, it's a very controversial style. People have really strong feelings. So either they really passionately dislike it and they're angry and that makes people vocal or they like it so they feel really defensive and they feel like they have to come to the defense of this style. And as for me, and I stated this in a video where people, this question had been asked to me by a follower and I answered it. Um, I think brutalism, I don't, it's very few styles. Well, that's maybe unfair, but in general, especially with 20th century, later half of 20th century styles, I don't tend to have just a blanket. I like it or I don't like it. Um, I think it's very much a case by case. And I think especially with brutalism and any style that's really economical, um, you're gonna see a lot of, I guess we can call them cheap imitations and maybe imitation is not the right word, but just variations that don't appear thoughtful and they're more just about how can I do this um, the most economical way possible, which is not to say that that can't also be thoughtful and come out a product that, or, a building or design that I would like, but a lot of times it just shows that people are trying to cut corners, so. Interesting. So what do you see as your role in these videos? Mm. Do you consider yourself an entertainer, a researcher, a personality, something else, mm. an activist even? Mm. What an interesting question. Um, I think ultimately I would call myself an educator. I mean, I feel like my videos, if they fit into a topic, it would be educational. Um, there might be a, I've made videos that are perhaps like to a degree about like taste and taste making, if you want to say, like I made a video about like which architectural style I think would be represented by which design house. Or I've also made videos about shoes and you know, nail polish, I'm a nail polish enthusiast. So I guess that's the way I tend to think of myself because I hope people are learn and a lot of my research is based on, you know, work I had written previously as a student or when I worked in the field. So um, yeah, I would say as an educator. I love that because Certainly not all people on social media, but many people on social media are looking for instant fame, or if they're not looking for fame, then they are looking for, maybe, maybe it's just the competitive aspect. They want people they know in their everyday bland lives to envy them. <laughs> but I love that you're using this as a tool to educate. Yeah, people already envy me, so that box has been checked, you know? <laughs> You're already awesome. <laughs> so um, I mean, look, I, you know, funnily enough, had actually, I've been, you know, blogging and like on social media 
in a public way for a while before this and I've kind of given up on it because you know if it like I said I was really surprised when that other woman's video surfaced on my channel because I was like wait so you're telling me a bunch of people in Gen Z you know which is the vast majority of TikTok users um would be fine with like a not you know just a a regular looking woman talking about buildings um so certainly did not go into this thinking oh i'm going to be an influencer although that would be super cool if that uh, ends up becoming the case yeah for sure influencing tastes and interest in design and architecture i love it so yeah that's that's what's been the most rewarding aspect of this in a way is getting responses from people saying how they've noticed things around them in a different way like if i've talked about a housing style and people say i live you know near so many of these or i pass tons of these all the time in my town and i never stop to look and now you know i can kind of look at it and i see it in a different lens and something i'd been told before you know by a personal friend once was like it's you know, really interesting to walk with you and ask questions because it's kind of like you read the built landscape. Um, and, you know, you know, reading is a skill, you know, we have to learn as well, right? So um, I think it's great to encourage people. And I think that's another reason too why a lot of skaters have been drawn to my material because a lot of them have stuck around and subscribed. And you can't skate on not a lot of the things I talk about can't really relate to skating. You're not really going to be skating in an interior plan of a ranch house, I don't think. Um, but I think there is that sensitivity to noticing the built environment. Although I think skaters look at it in a different way from someone who's examining um, the history of design around them. So, so why do you think it is that many people don't? tend to notice architecture? I think we just grow used to it. It's around us all the time. Um, you know, I don't know if they ever, something that I think about a lot isn't, um, when I did driver's ed, you know, our teacher said, uh, everybody describe three things that were misplaced in the hallway on your way here or something like that. And pretty much nobody could just get, you know, come up with all three and, you know, he said that is just to show you how we kind of become accustomed to the environment around us. We stop noticing details. And so when you're driving, and maybe this is what skating is like to some degree, you have to be really aware of what's around you and kind of turn your eyes on in that way. So I think that could be part of it. And I think architecture and design can also feel really inaccessible to a lot of people for multiple reasons. Um, Many people may not feel they have a tremendous amount of choice in what kind of buildings they're surrounded by or live in or see on a regular basis. Um, or they may spend, you know, especially with the pandemic, a lot of people have spent time inside. And I think that's maybe another reason for why people are interested in architecture talk because, um, you know, um, their interest, you know, we've spent so much time in digital space the last year. It's interesting to think about actual physical space so yeah it's enticing to imagine buildings you're not seeing or you're not walking into every day <laughs> mm -hmm. 
All right. So why don't we switch to this fundraiser because you're closing in on the finish line, right? You have a deadline. Why don't you tell people what it is and how- May 19th. Yes, please donate to the link in the description or you can Google uh, National Network of Abortion Funds, Venus Flytrap, that's my team name. And if you donate just to the team versus my page, that's cool too because it's not really about the personal glory. But this will be the 10th year I'm fundraising for Richmond Reproductive Freedom Project, which is a local reproductive justice slash abortion fund located in Virginia. And I'd like to read a statement about what reproductive justice is. Um, and this is from the Sister Song website. Um, and they define reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. Um, so um, I think even though Trump is no longer in office, that does not mean the threat to um, re access to reproductive care is um, over. It continues to be a struggle. Um, Roe v. Wade is not enough to grant everybody true access and defend their access to this important health care. So. Yeah, so donate. As Melina said, I am putting the link in the show notes. You can Even five bucks helps. I think a lot of people think you have to donate big bucks and you don't. Um, if you click the link in, in the description, you'll see on my own page, you know, different um, fundraisers may offer different prizes, if you will, for donating at certain levels. And for me, starting at the 30 and $50 level, I do have sort of like gift packages. So you can look into that and um, it's really vital work. And if you are thinking, well, I support choice, but Richmond has nothing to do with me. This is actually a, an ongoing fundraiser across the country. So you can look up national network of abortion funds and then whatever your local area is and see if there's somebody you can donate to. That's a great suggestion. Uh, a lot of people make assumptions about activists in this field, unfair assumptions. <laughs> so what interested you about this? And I always feel silly asking these kinds of questions because I, I also feel very strongly about this issue and about people's bodies. But what interested you? What got you so invested? Sure. Um, I've always been pro-choice, but I've also um, always been a very privileged cisgender woman, um, a white woman. And um, so I think I had it, as I learned more about my privilege in this world and the ways in which um, the feminist movement had not in fact stood for everybody. Um, I really felt like this was a way in which I could leverage networks of privilege that I have and skill sets that I have to 
um, help others. I think bodily autonomy is, um, I think, I think how we approach this issue says everything about how we see other people. So, um, yeah, that's, that's great. I know that I have explicitly been asked why you care so much. Have you had an abortion? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Never been pregnant. Um, this is not about me. Um, I also, and for, I also care deeply about racial justice and that's kind of been something I've learned a lot about through being involved um, in reproductive justice fundraising um, and, and moving away from a framework of supporting abortion access to truly reproductive justice. Um, so, or why, you know, you could ask the question, why should any white person care about racial equality in the US? you're not likely to change your race at any point. Um, and I don't really, I mean, I think, you know, there's like a meme of, I don't really know how to tell you to care about other people. Um, I think sustainable societies and communities are just that, they're sustainable. They're not built uh, on like laser focused on the um, achievements of the individual over the collective good. Yeah, so well stated. I love what you said about how it's not about me. That's so important. <laughs> it's not about any of us as an individual, really. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be a nice white lady if I didn't quote MLK Jr. at some point in this. Um, and I think the quote of his that has really stood out to me is each of us can be, each of us has the opportunity to be great because each of us can serve. Um, and that is something I think about a lot is, I see you laughing. Um, yeah, I was about to say, I wanted to wait for you to finish. So dear listeners, we are recording this over Zoom and I have the video turned on so that Melina and I can see each other and make eye contact and try not to talk over each other too much. But just now, as she was saying the thing about being a nice white lady and MLK, I had to literally cover my mouth because I didn't want to burst out laughing while she was saying that. Yeah, I think um, having a sense of humor is very um, helpful in the world and particularly in uh, seeing ourselves in an honest light. <laughs> I, I waited until you closed your mouth to laugh. We all know about the Zoom delays. We all know about the awkward interruptions. I, I interrupting in real life is just so much different than interrupting over Zoom, I found. So I try really hard to avoid it over Zoom, but you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And I feel like in person, um, interrupting can have more of a layering effect. And that is something I learned about on TikTok is how some people slash cultures are more of layering communicators um, where interrupting is not considered rude. For example, in the Middle East where my parents and family are from and it always drove me bonkers because someone would ask me a question as I, and as I'm answering it, I get interrupted. And uh, it took a TikTok video for me to understand that was their way of engaging with me. Oh yeah. No. So now I do it with abandon. So now I do it with abandon. <laughs> 
it's definitely something that on the Salvadoran side of the family has frustrated me to no end. I, it doesn't, well, I should say it doesn't bother me so much in casual conversation, but definitely for anything that's recorded, I just try to avoid it because it can be really fucking obnoxious to listen to it later on and then try to edit anything. Sometimes you really can't understand when those interruptions are going on. Um, it's easier in person because you can read lips, you can look at people's faces, and you don't have that benefit if you're listening to a podcast. True, true. Uh, okay, well, actually, so I wanted to, based upon these different things you were saying about social justice, and you luckily brought up TikTok again, I wanted to go back to TikTok and and ask you like do you do you find yourself engaging with communities about architecture and design that maybe you didn't touch before uh like how is this a different space than any of the historic preservation spaces where you were a student or uh, a researcher of any kind yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think on TikTok and because, you know, you, not just because it's social media, but because you have one minute and also it's really obvious as, you know, especially when you're on that app, um, it, you, you are competing with lots of people for that, for attention. Um, so I, my point being on TikTok, you really have to make things really accessible and I don't, catchy might not be the right word, but you have to really draw people in. Um, and so I actually don't work in historic preservation anymore and have taken, um, more of like a commercial, like, you know, a role in the commercial world, not, not like making commercials, but like, um, commercial type writing, you know, copywriting. Um, and I do think I actually bring a lot of those skills in as well, blended in, you know, with, with researching skills and analyzing skills. Um, cause you know, it's not just as, even though I do sometimes synthesize work and research I'd done previously, it's still quite a bit of work to turn even one page of writing into a minute video to, to you know, narrow down exactly what you wanna say and how to say it and be engaging. And I still have a lot of room for improvement. I, I recognize that. Um, but yeah, I think TikTok makes it accessible to a lot more audiences. You can engage with people directly. I also think because it's more informal and I don't know if that would be different if you were making these videos through an organization which, you know, I'm not sure, I do follow some, you know, um, for example, Akron Art Museum, and they, they, they are, you know, very like casual and kind of free spirited and, and, and still educational in the posts that they make. So I'm not sure. Um, but like, so for example, I, I think a lot of times in the field itself, there's kind of a push towards being as academic as possible. And I think because of that and in the academic world, and this is not to like paint too broadly with a brush, but there is kind of a push towards like, if it's too accessible, it's not really valuable. Things have to have a degree of exclusivity to them, I think. And, and maybe that, I don't, you know, I could be wrong, but um, I don't agree with that. Um, so for example, 
um, some posts that I've been making that are really popular now is, you know, telling people um, what the style of a house is that was in a TV show and talking about houses from TV shows. And I feel like that is something that might be frowned upon in more traditional educational settings. But I think it's a great way, you know, it's, it's something, it's a way people are already engaging with architecture and you kind of have to go where the fish are. Um, and you kind of have to use the bait that they like. Um, so, you know, that's how I see it. I see it as like, it's a great way to uncover opportunities. And that's not, that's not something I necessarily would have thought of on my own to make videos about. People ask me questions and then I realize, oh, a lot of people want to know what kind of house was the Brady Bunch house or the house from the Munsters because that is an experience with architecture they've had that's been engaging already. So that's so neat. So what are some plans for future videos? Oh my God, I'm making one right now also from user suggestion about um, why are late era Victorian houses the quintessential haunted house? Because you have to think once upon a time, not only were they just a house, but they were really fashionable, trendy houses. Um, I also want to make some video. I've been, mean, I've been wanting to do this since day one of starting in these architecture videos, but I just haven't gotten to it. Um, talking about the history of Airstream travel trailers. Let's see, what else? Um, I would like to discuss more indigenous architecture to, the, um, to North America. Um, so I'm trying to work on a series on that. Um, I would like to talk more about Googie style architecture, which is a really cool mid-century style architecture that a couple of my videos, um, which featured that style went kind of viral at like 80K views or so. Also giant hillside letters from the turn of the 20th century. You'll notice in all my videos, I very, except if I'm saying mid 20th century, because everybody knows that means 1950s and 60s. I generally say 19, whatever. And I've learned also, and this was kind of hard for me, not to say teens or 20s, because there are some teens and 20s that we're living through or slash just lived through, so. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that must be so tough. Well, what are some other things that you have learn to avoid saying or learn that you've had to define that maybe surprised you? Hmm. I'm not sure I've had to, hmm, that's not really, I need to think about that one. I try to be careful on that because I always assume my audience knows nothing and that's not, um, a negative comment on my audience or any audience. I think that is something I bring from commercial writing. You assume your audience like doesn't know anything for the most part about what you're about to discuss. And also is at a sixth grade reading level. Um, and the reason for that, you know, it's not hateful or because, I, and I would say actually my videos are at above a sixth grade reading level because I do throw in some fancier words, but, um, I, I don't know how to say, I, I feel like I'm already giving people information that might be making them think 
So I don't want to be complicating other aspects of it, you know? No, that totally makes sense. All right, Melina, my last question. And really, it's a two-part question. But what are your future goals? What are your future goals for TikTok? And just what has surprised and excited you and made you happy about this whole experience? Cool. Well, I'll start with the first one. Um, one goal, as I stated before, I would love to hit 25K, just hit an even number. And, um, you know, of course, you know, it's not like I would be unhappy with more than that, but 25K feels like a really nice even number. Um, and another a goal of mine, which is, you know, maybe a bit ways off, a little, little aspirational. I would love to develop a nail polish line with somebody or like a collab. And my thought would be, you know, a, just a handful of colors or maybe just even one color, but ideally a handful of colors inspired by architecture in some way. Um, so it could be like a, you know, if, if we're gonna really dream big, you know, maybe I'd get a, a whole little line and it would be like each little annual collection would be featuring a, like a, a different historic color palette. Um, you know, like a Queen Anne historic palette or a, a Googie palette. Um, but even if I could just have like one color inspired by architecture that I like, that would be super cool. Um, and then as for your second question, um, one of the things that's been so exciting for me about this, again, has been my audience and engaging with my audience. Um, I am truly grateful for every single person who follows me. That includes people who do not produce any content, have a private profile, so I don't know anything about what else they're into, um, and maybe nobody even follows them, or like only 10 people follow them. Um, and, or, you know, there's also people who follow me that I'm, you know, a part of me, I am like starstruck. And I'm, I'm, I tend to be kind of a starstruck fangirl, but that a part of me is like, you? notice me um you know so people who had already been following before like um cyber ex-boyfriend who is just hilarious and to quote him if he did a collaboration with mcdonald's it would be called the mcroast because he roasts mcmansions um and he is hilarious um and i even made a video inspired by his mcmansion roasting that did become viral it's my space age vampire house um there's, you know, other people who follow me who are just legitimately artists who I've uh, also followed on Instagram and, you know, I'm floored to get comments by them. Like uh, there's an artist named Jason Patterson who said he makes his, he hand builds the frames for each of his art pieces that he makes. And he said he likes hearing about the architectural styles because he bases his frames on different architecture periods that he's featuring in the art and i'm floored by that that is amazing um i'm honored that they would even glance in my direction as it were on the internet nevertheless actually listen to what i have to say and have it mean something to them so it's been a really rewarding experience overall and if anybody and i will share this with my followers but um if any one of them is listening right now, do know how deeply I appreciate you. So 
That's adorable. I love it. I love what you're doing with the TikTok. I love what you're doing with the fundraiser. I love how you are championing these things that you care so much about. A lot of people are just talking about what they care about, but you are actually producing something and rallying people together. So that's wonderful. All right. That is all the time we have, folks. Thank you, Melina. Thank you. And you're welcome, Christine. Okay, I just have to tell listeners that she spoke into a teeny tiny microphone <laughs> when she said that. <laughs> and if you're on TikTok, you'll understand that that's a TikTok thing. It's so tiny. <laughs> it's like, adorable. It's adorable, you guys. It's like the size of a pen. I smaller love than a pen, even. I would say it's a smaller than a glue stick, and I'm holding a glue stick, glue stick up to it for comparison. It's about three quarters the size of the glue stick, <laughs> average size glue stick. <laughs> All right, dear listeners, thank you for choosing the Badass Lady Folk podcast. I know you have so many choices for your podcast and other forms of entertainment and education more than ever in the history of humankind. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. You can find out more about me and Quail Bell in the show notes. And again, you can find the links for everything Melina B mentioned during this podcast as well. And be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes. I am gonna be removing all of the Radio Free Brooklyn episodes from the internet so that you only have this podcast, this iteration of the podcast to like and rate and subscribe to. So anywhere you're listening, make sure you like, rate, and subscribe, but especially on iTunes. Thank you so much. Tune in next time. <laughs>